conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is the lovely Katie Schaefer. We're talking all about Doctor Strange today. It's one of the few MCU movies that I have left on my list before any new ones come out that I'm hoping to get to at some point. You know, got some Thors left. I think both Ant-Man movies are left, but Doctor Strange is very unique because of not only what the character can do, but because he's a little different than most of the other characters in the MCU. And Katie, I know this was one you wanted to jump on when you found out it was available. Do you have very strong feelings about Doctor Strange as a character? I do now. <laughs> I honestly, I knew who Doctor Strange was and I'd read some comics where he's kind of the side. He comes in and does something, but he's not the main focus. And after I watched this, I was like, this is a much more interesting character than I thought it would be. They really did something in the same way they made uh, like Guardians of the Galaxy feel so different than the regular MCU films because they're, you know, the galactic side of things. This being the mystic side of things feels different in its own way. And I was impressed at how they're able to just just tweak it a little bit. And then it has such a wide ranging effect on the film. Absolutely. Plus, the casting in this movie, I think, really helps a lot because having someone like Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, at first, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. But if you sort of dive in and really get to know Doctor Strange before he ends up with these mystical abilities and everything like that, you know, he's sort of this narcissistic, egotistical jerk to, to put it nicely and it's really hard to see benedict cumberbatch in that light even though when he plays his role as sherlock he's similar in a sense but he's a little more kooky as well so you know you have sort of that dynamic going here but he played the role very very well in my opinion yeah i definitely agree and like you said like he has some of the sherlock like the the coldness yeah. that Sherlock has a lot of the time, but it is a totally different character play. And I love that. You can see Cumberbatch kind of doing this very specific thing with Stephen Strange and he really gets into it. You know, in the beginning, he's such an asshole and he's so unapologetically like, I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes me invincible, apparently, which is why I'm driving and looking at things in the rain. And then, you know, later he deals with all this pain and suffering. And then by the end, he's really grown. And I think a lot of that it, you can lay on Cumberbatch's shoulders with how well he plays Stephen Strange. He becomes more likable as Doctor Strange after his accident. And I think it takes a while, but once he sort of realizes what's going on and gets a hang of it, he still has some of that ego left in him. That's not something that's ever really going to go away with someone that was as big of a deal as he was when he was a surgeon and everything like that. I think that sort of just comes with the territory of having that kind of job sometimes. And, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is surrounded by an amazing cast. And I think 
a lot of these people are ones who hadn't been ingrained in a comic book universe. So we're getting a lot of fresh faces in this movie. And we're definitely going to talk about how this ties into the MCU a little bit later as a whole. But you have characters like Carl Mordo, Christine Palmer, Wong, and I don't even know if I can pronounce Mad Mickelson's character's name <laughs> properly, but you have a bunch of actors and actresses who are very popular for very different reasons. You know, Rachel McAdams has been around for a while. Mads Mickelson was Hannibal. And you have Tilda Swinton, too, who sort of just brings this sort of grace to the screen. And it's just amazing how they were able to get this cast together to bring these characters to life. Yeah, the casting was even if you're not into MCU or comic book movies in general, like the cast alone is worth worth a watch because they're all uh, nobody's phoning it in. Everyone is putting their best foot forward in this. And well, there's a little bit of cheesiness at times, yeah. especially with Chiwetel Ejiofor's uh, way he plays it, but it works. And I think Tilda Swinton is. Tilda Swinton is great in everything she does, but in this, she is ethereal, like how in, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, Kate Blanchett is ethereal as Galadriel. Like, she just is Zen calm peace, and that's so powerful, and it is believable that even someone like Doctor Strange would uh, be respectful of that and, like, believe that someone like that can help him and can change his life. Yeah, you have Tilda Swinton playing the Ancient One. And I believe in some of the comics, at least, it's actually a man in the role, which I don't care one way or another. I actually think it's pretty cool that they changed it for the movie. And, you know, it's just one of those things where this person just demands so much respect without actually being too demanding about it. And it's one of those things, too, where you have, I'm going to take a stab at this name, Caecilius. I have no idea if that is correct, but it's Mads Mikkelsen's character. So it is. Yep. That's that's how they pronounce okay. it anyway. It has been a minute since I have seen the movie. I remember a lot of what happened, but remembering pronunciations is not something that's ever going to happen for me pretty much. You know, I'll ask someone how to pronounce their last name or something, and then 30 seconds after I say it, it's out the window. <laughs> yep. Yep. I understand. Yeah. He's, uh, and Mads in particular is just one of my favorite additions, and he gets such a juicy role for him. He is perfect at this weird, creepy believer, and it's fun to watch him on screen, even though it all goes very, very wrong for him, it's still a delight to see it happen and unfold. Absolutely. With Christine Palmer, played by Rachel McAdams, too, in the comics, Christine Palmer is known as the night nurse. But because Rosario Dawson's character plays the night nurse in the Marvel Netflix shows, you know, that's not necessarily spoken in those shows, but it's just implied the entire time. You know, she's the one patching up all of the heroes and sort of the through line between a lot of those shows. And so it's interesting that they change that in this movie as well to have Christine Palmer just be a surgeon who is 
sort of on the same level as Doctor Strange, but not nearly as egotistical about it, clearly. And she eventually is a love interest for him. And even though there are some big changes from the comics with a few of these characters, I never felt like it was a hindrance to the movie. And I think that just is partially because of how strong the cast is. And like you said, it can be cheesy at times, but it's not overly done to the point where you're just turned off from what the movie is trying to do. And I think anyone who is a Marvel fan probably went into this movie knowing that it would be a little weirder, not in the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy was, but in a somewhat similar regard. It's like, okay, we're playing with magic, literally. So there's a lot of weird things that could happen. And we definitely see that. And, you know, I think we can go ahead and talk a bit about the story now, too, because, you know, this acts as an origin story, but it's not just an origin story. Yeah, this is definitely the best pulled off origin story I've seen in years, probably since the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. That one does a great job of it. It's, you know, kind of the original when it comes to how people think about those stories are told. Um, but this one manages to get its story across, but not allow it to be the main focus. Like, we get through him figuring out his powers and all of that pretty quickly. I think it's like 40 minutes of the movie and the movie is almost two hours if I remember correctly. And it's then we're immediately on to a different story with, uh, you know, this entirely different villain. We don't even get Mordo who's what I believe one of Dr. Strange's like biggest arch villains in his comic series. So, I thought they just played it off really well. They managed to wrap a unique story together. And like you said, the magic, playing with magic in the MCU, like, it's really hard. They don't necessarily do it well in the comics sometimes. I thought Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, a sci-fi space opera adventure is a lot easier because people are so much more willing to to roll with that. Whereas magic... In, a, in comics and superheroes, like, that's not something people see a whole lot or are used to. And so I think they had a really hard sell on their hands when they decided to tackle Doctor Strange. They certainly did. And like you said, certain things can be done in the comics, but then translating those to the big screen can either be easier or sometimes more difficult. And I think you can put all of these weird things in comic books. And then when you go to try and bring it to life on the big screen, you're like, okay, you know, thankfully graphics have come a very long way since these superhero movies and TV shows started because you have things like Lou Ferrigno's Hulk that just does not look all that great <laughs> and you know you have yeah. something like yep. dr strange coming out and you know right away that so much of this movie is going to consist of using visual effects because how else are you going to reasonably display all of the magic that's happening 
in this movie and in this story. You know, we have Doctor Strange getting in his accident and we don't spend too much time with him before the accident. It's sort of just enough to really understand who he is as a person, which to get to that, you don't need a lot of time anyway. So I'm glad they kept that short. You have the accident and then he sort of goes through this unusual rehab because he's learning to use magic now instead, to use his hands in a different way than he's used to. But I think in the end, he understands why he was the one who was picked for this. And it takes you a little while to get there. But the fact that this movie is also less than two hours long, it's just shy of two hours. But for a Marvel movie, you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of pleasant, actually. You know, they didn't feel the need to draw this out to two plus hours. Yeah, exactly. And it was very, I mean, most movies, there's a few bits can be shaved off here or there, but, and I'm sure there are in this one, but in, they, the pacing is excellent. It manages to tell its story and keep it moving and you never feel like there's a transition uh, between one story and the next, between him fighting this guy and him getting in his car accident and his healing and all of that stuff like they managed to blend it all together and pace it out well and if they hadn't done that this would have been really unpleasant to watch like I've recently seen a couple like that and I was it made me reflect on how well done this movie is how much time and energy was put into crafting a whole world and story even though they already had a whole world to set this in with the amount of magic that is in this too, you know, sometimes it almost gets a little dizzying. At least it did for me when all the buildings are folding onto themselves and you have all of this stuff going on. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to slow this down a minute. Right? It felt, I was like, well, somebody really enjoyed Inception (laughs) because that's so much of what it feels like. And not like a copy, but something that I'm sure that there was at least a little bit of, well, if we're folding worlds, this is a perfect example of it. And it is dizzying at times. Like there's so many places moving and it feels like the characters could just be crushed at any moment by a random building popping out of nowhere. Yeah, it was certainly a wild ride watching this. And I actually did not watch this one in theaters, which I'm probably glad that I didn't because I feel like on that big of a screen, it would have been too much for my head to take. It would have been one giant headache. So, you know, I watched this at home when it was on Netflix. And it's weird because this was one of the movies I didn't feel compelled to go see in theaters. And it was weird feeling that way because I knew that I was going to be interested in the Doctor Strange character. And I've read a couple of Doctor Strange comics off the top of my head, the one that comes to mind right away is Doctor Strange The Oath. And I think that's one of the more popular ones. But I guess because it wasn't something that was immediately tying into the rest of the Marvel movies, I was like, oh, you know, I can wait on that one. It's not a big deal. And, you know, this came out in 2016. And it was basically the first year of me not having a job. So I was trying to save money and whatnot. And I wasn't going to the theater all that much anyway. But for you, was this something you had to go see in theaters? Or did you watch it later like I did? 
No, I was in the same boat. I was like, eh, I don't know. Because I, I agree. I felt like, oh, I don't know how much this is going to tie into the rest of things. I don't need to prioritize it. And I was pretty skeptical of how good it would be because I knew it was going to be an origin story. And I am not an origin story fan. <laughs> I get to the point is kind of my thoughts on it. I want to see these characters being the awesome person they are now. But after watching it, I was like, oh, so if this comes back to theaters at any point, I should probably try to check it out because it would be really cool on a big screen after, especially after you watched it and you know what's coming. So you yeah, want to prepare yeah. yourself like, okay, the world is going to fold and maybe a little dizzying. Maybe a little bit. I think with origin stories, for me anyway, the ones I'm kind of tired of seeing are the Spider-Man and Batman origin stories because we've had so many different people play those characters and not just on the big screen, but even in, you know, some animated Spider-Man TV shows or animated Batman shows, what have you. There's just this sense that for whatever reason, people feel the need to continue telling those origin stories over and over and over again. But with a character like Doctor Strange, it wasn't one we had seen before, so I didn't mind it quite as much. It was like, okay, if you've read the comics, you know what's going to happen. But if you haven't read the comics, we're going to get through this very quickly for you, and you'll just have to keep up, which, like I said, it's not like him being a narcissist is that much to keep up with it's like oh okay he has this elitism about him and he is reckless and sort of doesn't really want to be told what to do under any circumstances and that's why he ends up where he ends up and you have these villains in this movie one is literally larger than life you have Dormammu of the dark dimension and the movie leads up to that moment where you have Caecilius getting in contact with Dormammu and that's when all hell breaks loose. And I think the action sequences in this, they were interesting, but like you said, not all of the visuals necessarily hit 100% of the time. So I think because this movie had so much going on at one point with the worlds folding into each other and just the fact that they had so many things to do visually, it almost felt like they tried to do a little too much on that end. And I think that's why I'm pretty sure I gave this about a three out of five when I watched it. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think I'd have to go back and watch it again to really know how those visuals came out. Because like I said, I didn't watch it in theater, so I wasn't seeing them on a giant screen but you know our tv here it's it's decent so it wasn't like i was watching it on my phone or anything like that but you know when you have as many visuals as you do it's going to be very difficult to nail every single one of them yeah exactly and i think by the end they managed to make it all work especially with the dormammu scene because that is like who that is not it's not quite space out or uh, 2001 a space odyssey mind-blowing level where but it gets pretty deep in there and the face of Dormammu that you see and like the visual effects that they use in that are very intense. I think that was hard too because those moments were so dark literally on the screen too at times. You're just sort of surrounded by this darkness. It's like all the light has gone out. And you really get the sense of that as that scene continues on. But it's 
just so amazing that you have this villain in Caecilius and then you bring out Dormammu. It's almost like if there were going to be a Doctor Strange sequel, what do you even do from there? Because we've already seen these big bads in the Doctor Strange world and then you have the whole thing with Thanos, which we will get to because that's very much a Doctor Strange story in a sense too with all of the stones and everything. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay, they they brought out the big guns for this movie. And I wonder if in the back of their minds, they kind of had an idea that there might not be a second movie. So then they just went all out for this one. Yeah, I think that might be part of it. I think they wanted to give a big impression of who this character was and the kind of strength he has and what we're dealing with so that as you see him appear later, you know what he's capable of. And then I think the movie did better than they expected. And I think people reacted better to the character than they thought. And there sure ha- there sure is a second one announced. So it's it's on the docket with the same writer and director, uh, which is the same dude. But we'll see if it actually happens. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I I hope it will. I think it would be great to see where they're going to go, especially after the Avengers Endgame happens and we get that wrap up. I think it it really could be a way for them to start it off with something interesting, you know, to throw something Doctor Strange-esque in there. Great. I am down. I liked how it worked out because, like, as you watch the later films he's in, it's it really made me appreciate more what we saw in Doctor Strange. Like after, cause I watched Doctor Strange well before I saw, you know, Infinity War and Black Panther and all that. And then I watched those and he makes such a big difference and is so integral to so many things that it made me go back and look at him in the new light. Like, okay, see, look at all this foreshadowing they're placing in here. And all of these different things that then appear later and it makes it so worth having watched the film. Yeah, before we dive into how this fits in the MCU as a whole a little more, I want to talk about the time loop moment. Because that really gives us a sense of not only what the Eye of Agamotto can do, but what Doctor Strange is willing to go through because he's basically killed over and over and over again. And Dormammu finally gives in. So you have this scene sort of replaying over and over and luckily they don't do it too many times in the movie to where you're like okay come on get to the point they do get to the point and I just think the use of that time loop was something that leads us to want to know more about everything the Eye of Agamotto can do and what Doctor Strange is going to be capable of because You know, with this being an origin story, we haven't seen the full extent of what Doctor Strange is able to do, because at this point in time, you can feel that he's still learning and having to learn very quickly at times because of things like this happening. But he's still learning. And I think the Ancient One finally reluctantly training him is a good sign for him because even though she's reluctant it's like okay he's proven himself and who knows what we would see in a sequel but it's one of those things where you're like this is definitely building up at a nice pace like you said this movie was nicely paced but his learning is as well right and she he gets just enough 
so that when the shit hits the fan, as it were, he can kind of keep it going. He can trip along and run through it and make some stumbles here and there, but his determination and his, uh, his unerring will, like the will of Dr. Strange is a common theme that's played throughout the film, like his will to be the best surgeon and find the most complicated cases and then heal these people and his will to be the best and be known as the best. And then the healing and the learning and all of this. And then in the final climactic moment where he is willing to die as many times as it takes in order to save the world. Like that's where the point where he proves he's actually a hero, even if he's kind of an arrogant jerk still, um, he's still heroic because that's what it takes is the will to continue on even when everything seems completely hopeless. Plus, he saves the Earth without anyone really knowing about it, it seems, because this is a solo movie for Doctor Strange. It isn't until the mid credit scene where we see some of the other characters who we are already familiar with. And is there anything else you want to bring up about the story or visuals before we do dive into the mid-credits and post-credits scenes? I do want to say that I thought um, the use of Wong, yes, how they bring that character in and how he plays such a big role in it. Like Benedict Wong is just a great actor and watching him get to kind of play with this character on screen and bring his own thing to it was such a delight and it was the perfect foil for strange's like uptightness is wong's like it's all good man you're fine just relax you just need to relax though he's very grounded in comparison to dr strange and i think that's something that helps him a lot and we see it later on in infinity war how that sort of relationship evolves between the two of them Yes. And he's uh, such a great addition because it keeps the story from being far too uh, overdramatic or, you know, there's Wong there. Wong cracking yeah. a joke, <laughs> reminding him that this is, you know, this is what we're doing. But he's seen as no less uh, heroic or capable just because of those things. Yeah. So I really liked him and I really wanted to mention his his really great performance in this. Yeah, that's something that I'm hoping we do get to see more of, whether it's in a sequel or just in the MCU in general. But the mid credit scene is where we see Thor and Loki. They are looking for their father and Doctor Strange decides to help them, which we then get, you know, some fun moments in Thor Ragnarok. So that sort of leads you to what's coming next. Yes, and how him he and Thor interact like that that's probably one of my favorite post credit scenes <laughs> that they've done because it's just and it it plays it mixes what came with Thor Ragnarok with Taika Waititi's style with Scott Erickson's style really well, and so it's like two two separate worlds kind of gently touching and it works, and Loki's always fun to watch get get harassed oh god i've been falling for 30 minutes (laughs) it's a very nice little preview of what's to come but then you have 
the post credit scene with Mordo confronting Pangborn, who is a paraplegic, and he learned how to heal himself using the mystic arts, and he was played by Benjamin Bratt. He doesn't have a huge role, but it's one that's sort of just important enough to bring back, and you have Mordo stealing the mystical energy from him, and he says that there are too many sorcerers on Earth. So that sort of keeps the Doctor Strange world alive. It feels like if we're going to see someone again in Doctor Strange's universe, it's going to be Mordo. But obviously, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Thanos first. Yep, I think that's probably where, if we get it, Doctor Strange 2 will go. I think we'll see Baron Mordo premiere his his dark side. So that'll be interesting. Um, I like Chiwetel Ejiofor, and he brought something fun to this character as well. So I think it'll be, and it would be interesting to see how they're going to push these two sorcerers against each other when Strange has to deal with his own kind in someone he knows and cares about. And, you know, that'll be a different side of Strange that we'll have to see. Oh, definitely. And I think that leads us nicely into how this movie fits into the MCU as a whole, because when you first watch this, if I would have watched it before some of the other movies, it's kind of like, where does this fit? You know, it's like, okay, we got a Doctor Strange origin story, obviously because he's going to be important at some point, but even in Thor Ragnarok, it's more of these sort of little gag scenes that we see him in and it isn't until infinity war where we're like oh okay but there are quite a few movies between this and 2016 and infinity war last year so you're getting these things and he didn't really if i'm not mistaken we didn't really see much of doctor strange before this it wasn't like spider-man or black panther who were introduced in civil war and then given their own movies. Yes. I don't think there's... I think there might be references to him in a post credit scene or two. But other than that, like, he seems... Which feels accurate to the world of the Marvel comics is that, like, the mystic art side of things, like how Guardians of the Galaxy, the galactic side of things is kind of in its own separate place. feels like the mystic arts are too. Because, like... Tony Stark has no idea who this guy is, but he obviously has some connections because he knows Thor, Thor's dad, Odin. So he knows Odin and he's able to help them find him. So it leaves the door open that there's more strange in the world than we know of, but the typical heroes that we think of they don't know him. Maybe even Nick Fury doesn't know who he is. That I don't think that's ever established if Fury knows about the mystic arts, at least in the movies. It'll be interesting to see if anything about that comes up in Endgame as well. But from what I'm seeing on IMDb, Benedict Cumberbatch has only been in the three movies so far and soon to be four with Endgame. Yeah, with Endgame coming soon. At least I think he's not listed in it. Which is weird. He's listed in Infinity War, and then it says Doctor Strange 2 is announced, but there's nothing about Endgame. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and you never know. With IMDb, you never know how they're going to yeah. sell it, because they might say, like, no, we're not going to list anybody except people who we 
absolutely have to. Yeah, it's like you can't not list Chris Evans when he's been in the, the trailers. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, right. all right, right, all right, we'll let you have a pass. It's a who's coming back? Who's coming back? You know, it's that kind of thing, I think. So we'll see. But obviously, Strange has to make, he has to come back. He has to make an appearance because of the time right. zone. So, and it's his freaking time zone, as it were. You know, he's the one who keeps who keeps track of it. So, we bet he better come back. Is all I'm saying. I need to see some Cumberbatch. I can't imagine he wouldn't. That would be a very weird thing for the MCU to do because it feels like Doctor Strange, Tom Holland, Spider Man, Black Panther. They were all introduced at the same time, or at least during the same year so you have phase they're like the same phase of the mcu i think wasn't civil war also in 2016 i could be off on that but i think they were literally in the same year too civil war was earlier that year and then doctor strange came out in the fall so you have these new characters who could be the future of the mcu pretty much yeah i think that's where they're going i think that uh my theories in regards to Endgame is that the ones who are alive now, their time, except for, you know, Black Widow, probably, and a couple of the lesser characters, but the big daddies, you know, Chris Evans, Captain America, um, Tony, like, their time has passed, and now it's time for the next, the new group of Avengers to step forward, and I think Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Spidey are kind of the the new focuses of the team like how now it's cap tony stark and um hulk yes but we'll see if hulk sticks around i hope so but i don't think he's never really a huge player in the game he's always kind of on the side doing what he can yeah and i really feel like hawkeye is pretty much done after Endgame too. So you have a lot of these characters where we're going to be cycling a bunch of these heroes out soon. And it's one of those things where it's kind of hard because we've spent 10 years with some of these characters and you're like, but we don't really want you to go. I understand why you have to. And I feel like, you know, Doctor Strange, the movie itself, had some mixed reviews and that kind of goes for pretty much every movie I feel like especially superhero movies unless said movie is into the spider-verse which it seems like almost everyone can agree on but I just feel like yes diving into the comics and announcing things after Endgame it'll be very interesting to see which characters they choose to stick with because you know, for me personally, I'd love to see a live action Miles Morales pop up in the future. Because even though Holland's Spider Man isn't the right age right now, they've played with that before. In the current Disney XD Spider Man show, they have Peter Parker, Miles Morales, and Gwen Stacy all the same age going to the same school. So you have these things where you can sort of play with it a little bit. And I think it that's obviously way easier to do in a children's show than it is to do in the MCU. But as Holland Spider-Man starts to age, maybe through this next phase or two, they can work their way 
into introducing Miles. They've actually already started doing that by introducing his uncle in Homecoming. So it's like, all right, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> yep. I was just thinking that. And he's made mention of. He mentions his, my, my nephew lives in this yeah. neighborhood. And that's, and at like, in theaters, I'm going, ooh, ooh, he's talking about Miles. <laughs> like, and what a great choice to have, you know, Childish Gambino as Aaron, you know, his uncle at the Prowler. Like, that'll all, that'll be interesting. Like, there's so many different routes they yeah. can go with this. And I, I think, like you said, superhero movies, it's real hard to get general consensus on anything about them, regardless of how good or bad you think they are. And I think they always have a bigger battle to fight when it's a character that isn't very well known in general audiences. I think they're going to have to have the same fight with Captain Marvel because she's not, she's not like a, a top of the line superhero. She isn't one of the five or six that everybody knows. She's not even like Fantastic Four level well-known, yeah. I would say. And Doctor Strange was the same. Like, you have to get people. And he still kind of is the same in a sense, too. Because yes. even though he was in Infinity War and you can understand the importance of him, it almost felt like I didn't really care too much about what happened to Doctor Strange, which is sad to say, but you were so consumed with, you know the Tony and Peter relationship, especially since that was the group yeah. we had. It was Tony, Peter, and Doctor Strange at first, and then you have some members of Guardians showing up and everything like that to just make things a little more difficult at times. But it was one of those things where I enjoyed the Doctor Strange movie, but I can't really put my finger on what they would do with him going forward aside from a solo movie again. And I think that kind of sucks in a sense because he's a very interesting character, but he's not Peter Parker. And I think they're really going to lean into that if Sony will let them and really just sort yep, of there's the question. hang their hat on using Spider-Man to build up this new era of the MCU. And, you know, they have announced some things. I believe they announced the Eternals and things are definitely going to oh, get yeah. very weird. So maybe there is going to be a place for a character like Doctor Strange. But at this very moment in time, it's really hard to tell because while we think we know what's going to happen in Endgame, they're probably going to do something we aren't expecting. Because I think that's the only way you can really convince fans that these last now going on 11 years have been worth it. Right. I agree. And I think I I'm they're bringing the scrolls into things in Captain Marvel. And that is a huge threat. And I have my suspicions that that will at least be, you know, <clears throat> a big part of it going forward. So I think there's so many good places they could go with this. And the comic writers that they've had, because, you know, usually the pattern is, is they have the director write the story. You know, but behind the scenes, there are comic writers who are some of the best writers at Marvel who are crafting how all of these worlds fit together. And they kind of, from what I understand, they give like, here are the comic pieces that have to happen in your movie. Now, you can figure out the dialogue and the rest, but these specific scenes have to be in play in order for us to link everything together really well. And they have done 
such a good job of that as someone who's read several series of comics, you know, where, you know, you've got some Batman, some Nightwing, some Teen Titans, some whatever, and they're all telling the same intricate story. That's what it feels like they're doing with MCU. And so I'm hoping they continue that in their next whatever their next plan is, and so that they can bring in more characters like Doctor Strange and hopefully keep them the more unique and interesting ones around so it isn't just, you know, Spidey and Venom and all of that, which I'd love to see that Venom get introduced to the MCU. Could you imagine? (laughs) That would be something for sure. And I'm going to just quickly (gasps) say a spoiler warning here because I want to briefly discuss the cast that is going to be in Endgame. I know some people don't like hearing anything about these movies before they come out. I know people who won't even watch the trailers or anything. So we're going to start talking about the Avengers Endgame cast. And if you don't want to hear about it, this is pretty much going to be the end of the podcast. So feel free to just go to the end at this point. Yep. Ride that skip button, folks. But I did mention earlier that he wasn't listed, and I don't think that's a spoiler. Someone not being listed can't really count as a spoiler, I don't think. Right, because again, it could be a front, right. or it could not be. You know, it's really hard to tell in these situations. But they have Wong and the Ancient One listed as being in Endgame. So I feel like that's a good indication that we'll have to see something happen in the Doctor Strange universe. And I don't know if you remember the kid from Iron Man 2, I want to say. It was 2 or 3, but it was the kid that Tony Stark sort of has this connection with when his suit fails and he lands in like the middle of Tennessee. Yeah, I think that's 3. Okay, 3. Is that the like Christmassy one? Yeah, I think so. That's the one where Tony is very yeah. very sad. He's sad Tony. Uh, too many movies to keep track of. I always forget which Iron Man is which after the first one. I'm like, wait, was this two or three? And, yep. Okay, so that because two is Mickey Rourke. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, two is Mickey yes. Rourke is Whiplash, <laughs> and that's pre uh, Ultron. Yeah, because Ultron is what is what kills Tony. Right. Emotionally, not physically. But that kid Harley is coming back, and. He's played by the same actor, as far as I know. So that'll be interesting because it's been quite some time since Iron Man 3. So they're bringing back these characters who we maybe weren't expecting to see again in this movie in particular. I don't think I was expecting to see the Ancient One. It makes sense. I was definitely expecting to see Wong after seeing him in Infinity War. But it's like, oh, now the Ancient One wants to come around? (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, where were you, lady? We could have used you when Thanos, like, come on, if you're still in existence, maybe come help us out a little bit, just a little. Yeah. So just looking at the IMDb page here, I don't know if you've looked at it, but it's interesting. It's starting to make my head spin with ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was seeing a mantis. Hmm. Like, there's a lot of interesting people that we maybe haven't seen yet who are being identified. And that is great oh good happens in it (laughs) crossbones will be back it's very interesting what they're doing and some people still don't have character names you know it's just oh here's an actor or actress and we're not going to tell you who they are yet so it's like oh okay i see how it is that's how you're playing this which is always a sign it's always a sign because you know interesting person on the street doesn't you know (laughs) their name doesn't get left out just to confuse people right but i think someone like 
Catherine Langford, who is listed with no character name, you know, she's been in enough things now. And I think they've become big enough to where it's like, yeah, she'll probably have a somewhat significant part. Even though there's so many people in this movie, I have no idea how they're going to do this. I heard that the movie's almost three hours long, but we're straying a little bit from Doctor Strange here. So, you know, it'll just be interesting <laughs> to see how he factors in going forward, especially after Endgame. Yes, I agree. I'm really I'm really hoping for more and that they push the weird factor because there's a lot of weird in Doctor Strange. And I think I think they have proven they can do kind of whatever they want. And people will still be like, all right, I'll give you money to go see it. I'm one of those people. <laughs> so, and the weirder, you know, with Guardians and the, and Doctor Strange and both of those movies pushed the envelope in regards to how far and out there the MCU was willing to go. And they met with, in this case, decent success. And with Guardians, you know, box office gold. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Just the weirdness of the MCU at times. <laughs> yep. And how great it is. Makes it so much more interesting. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on to talk about this one. I know I might be able to snag you for a few of the others that I have left. We will definitely discuss that because I need to double check and make sure I don't accidentally do any twice. <laughs> but right? on that note, to the listeners... Thank you all for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Geekdom Pod, on Instagram at Welcome to Geekdom. You can search for Welcome to Geekdom on Facebook, although Facebook is not as fun. So you can pretty much find us wherever, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And if you have a moment to rate and review the podcast, that would be great. But as always, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.